Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig, and welcome to another episode. And this week, I thought it'd be fun to talk about questions. Uh, it's one of my favorite topics. Um, and uh, I, I posted what if, you know, as a question. And before we get into that, I thought I would share a little bit of a backstory, kind of where I'm coming from with this. So years ago, I was reading a series of books. Chances are likely that some of you have read these books. It's called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And I felt a little weird reading them, quite frankly, when I first started getting into them, because as I've mentioned in previous shows, Um, I grew up in a pretty hardcore, charismatic Christian household. And uh, so that was like, that was just part of our life. We were heavily involved in the church. Um, My my dad ran sound. Uh, We were caretakers for the church uh, whenever I was young. Um, Mom was involved in Sunday school and all of that. Uh, Later on, whenever I grew up, (laughs) <laughs> which is a debatable topic, whether that's actually been achieved yet. But um, later on, I went to um, Bible school. I went out to Rama um, in Tulsa, or Broken Arrow, I guess is where it is, uh, Kenneth Hagin's uh, school, to learn to be a teacher. Surprise, surprise. And um, I didn't complete that uh, training. It just... I came to realize that uh, while I did feel I was called to teach, I didn't necessarily need to be there to do it. So um, so I left there, even though it was a great experience at the time, uh, and I was incredibly poor uh, (laughs) back then. And, um, but I later went on to get more involved in the church, um, ended up co-pastoring a church for a time. Uh, a couple years, youth pastor, all that kind of stuff. And so I was pretty heavily entrenched in uh, that lifestyle. I mean, we trained prayer teams and all kinds of things like that. And so there were a lot of things, because of growing up that way, there were a lot of things that I had questionable opinions on, you know, because I was told that this was wrong or that was evil or, you know, whatever the case may be. Chances are some of you can relate to that. Um, Some of you may still feel that way. Uh, And I'm not here to judge beliefs. I'm just here to share my, my own experience. But whenever I found out about um, conversations with God, I felt a little odd in reading it because I had read somewhere that, you know, um, of course, there's the whole thing of God don't speak to people anymore. Some would say, others would say, you know, the Bible was the last inspired word of God that was ever spoken. And so with all of those conversations swirling in my head, but my own curiosity kind of pushing me to find out what's real and what isn't, um, I've never been a status quo kind of person. I just don't do good with that. But uh, so I decided to read the books. I got at least the first book. I ended up reading them all, but I got the first book and um, 
And I decided to approach that and some other books that I was reading at the time in my own personal exploration of things uh, to just read them with as much an open mind as I could. And as I was reading through um, those particular books, it was really challenging me on a lot of levels from a belief system perspective, which I don't see as a bad thing. Um, and of course, you know, you have the knee jerk reaction sometimes whenever things are spoken or said that don't align with what you believed your entire life. Um, but I've learned enough to know that whenever that occurs, it's good. It's a good time to take pause and to find out why it bothers you so much, you know, uh, but there was this set of questions that was posed to him in his conversations with God that really rocked my world in a lot of respects. And I loved them uh, just because they rocked my world uh, at the time, given the context I just explained. And the one question in particular that really stood out to me was, and this is my paraphrase, I, don't, I didn't look up the exact quote, but you'll get the idea. Um, the one, uh, the one question that was posed was, what if everything you believed about God was wrong? And, uh, I loved that question because there was, I had a lot of beliefs. I mean, you know, I, as I said, I grew up in the church, was involved very heavily in the church. I mean, even when I started graphic design, uh, my well, first I started working w with a publisher, and it was a Christian publisher. Whenever I started my own company, um, I was primarily servicing Christian publishers and, um, you know, like ministries and people like that. I had a, a Christian nonprofit. I mean, so pretty heavily entrenched uh, in a lot of beliefs. And so whenever I read that question, it, it just kind of gave me a major pause because it's like, well, you know, let's, let's treat this like, a, like the rhetorical question that it is because we all know that my beliefs about God are correct. You know, I mean, that's the, the, the knee jerk in that case. It's like, oh, well, you know, okay, we'll play this game. Ha ha ha. Um, and I never really took it seriously at first. And then um, I couldn't get away from it. It just, it just started, I don't know, like eating at me, I guess you could say. Uh, because it, it's like opening Pandora's box. Like if you start down the path of, of exploring that question and peeling it open... Um, it can really open up a major can of worms that a lot of people just are unwilling to, to do because, um, you know, we don't like discovering that we're wrong or we don't like feeling that we're naive or, you know, admitting that we failed or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, very often we have a hard time with that. And uh, questions really are like the ultimate data mining in our brains, you know, in what we think, what we believe. Because, you know, uh, truth is that a lot of people believe stuff not because they've taken the time to really soul search and research and all of that kind of stuff. They believe it because it's what they're told to believe or because it's what their parents and their grandparents and everybody before them believed or because 
you know, they aspire to be a certain type of person or whatever. And so in, you know, in their brief research, they find somebody that they admire and model. And that's what that person believes. And so it's real challenging, I think, at times. It's like the easiest thing and the hardest thing all at the same time to actually fashion belief that's, you know, really who, that's a reflection of who you really are, rather than just being part of the status quo. And, um, and of course, you know, conversation like this 500 years ago would have gotten me hanged. Um, and, and I understand that. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to start stop questioning. I've always asked questions. And uh, I think I've shared some of those questions in the past. But but this one here, what if, you know, what if everything that I believed about God was wrong? Opens up a big can of worms, worms because what if God isn't who we think he or she is or it? What if there's no devil? What if there's no hell or heaven or at least the way we conceive it? You know, what if God is an alien? Or what if, you know, it's just this source energy that is completely neutral? Um, I mean, the one thing that I was at least smart enough to realize is that we as humans have this tendency to assign humanity to whatever we need to in order to interact um, because it gives us a frame of reference. So it's real easy to refer to God as Father because we can relate to our Father. You know, normally a Father is seen as a person of authority who gave birth to us, and so God gave us spiritual birth. So it's a real easy you know, a real easy thing to see God as, you know, a dad. And I remember one of my pastor friends from years ago, I spoke at his church multiple times, is like a biker church. And uh, he used to always refer to God as Daddy God. And I I never really agreed with that point of view. I mean, just, it, it bothered me. Um, and the reason why I think it bothered me is because uh, some folks, not me necessarily, but some folks never really knew their dad or their interaction with their father wasn't a good thing, um, you know, because he beat them or whatever. And so if your view of fatherhood is skewed, then what would that do for your view of God? That was my logic. Okay. And so it prompted me to ask other questions, you know, to kind of expand out on what if everything that I believed about God was wrong, um, which has a completely different energy to it than what if I believed everything about God was right. I mean, that's easy, right? Uh, that's like the cheater method of the question. Uh, but what if everything that I believed about Satan was wrong? Just to randomly pick something. Uh, but you can even expand it out more than that. What if everything that I believed about my own consciousness was gone or my own or was wrong or my own skills or about what I believe about myself personally? You know, um, that was a scary one because uh, in exploring that version of the question, I discovered years ago that I actually didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. Um, and so I hid and acted out this persona. 
Uh, and one of the reasons why I didn't like myself is because I was a nerd. And back then, nerds weren't accepted uh, so much. It was a derogatory to be called a nerd back whenever I was a teenager. And, you know, nerds weren't cool back then. And so that was part of it. And then there's, you know, family dynamics that play in, you know, how my dad interacted with me and, you know, those kinds of things. You know, I shared before that my dad... Um, my dad came onto this planet as the result of a rape. And uh, I've since found out through doing genealogy research that um, not only did my dad come onto this planet as a result of a rape, but it appears that his, both his mom and dad came onto the planet the same way. It was either out of wedlock or a rape, one of the two. And it's kind of hard to pin that down. But if you look at all of the evidence surrounding their birth and what happened after, it gives the appearance that that's actually what took place. So, you know, you have uh, my grandmother uh, conceived as a result of a rape. My grandfather conceived as a part of the rape. They come together uh, in a rape situation to produce my dad. And then there's me, <laughs> you know? And, and so, uh, if you believe anything at all in, um, you know, generational curses or, um, you know, genetic memory or anything like that at all, um, you can see where that could present some problems. Uh, from an emotional perspective, from a belief perspective, all of that. It certainly did in my dad um, because he grew up without his mother um, whenever he was young. My great-grandmother raised him. And so he was always in this place of feeling disconnected, you know, abandoned. And I, I grew up feeling that same thing. Just, I, I think I picked up on it off of him, but I felt it as well, even though it was... More just simply a matter of mom and dad both working full-time jobs and so go to babysitters. But, you know, I felt abandoned. My great-grandmother died. Nobody told me right away. I felt like she abandoned me. And so there was this constant pattern. And it took me until I was an adult, literally just a few years ago, uh, to realize what, what on earth was even going on. Uh, but it, by starting to ask what-if questions... You know, what if I wasn't really abandoned? What if my great-grandmother didn't abandon me at all? What if it was just simple fact that she died? You know, it wasn't on purpose. But, you know, we have, we assign meaning to things um, very often based on skewed memory. And, uh, and so, as a result, you know, we become the person that we become when in reality we could be so much more. You know, we could really tap into who we are in a really cool and interesting way. But maybe, you know, maybe we've done things we were ashamed of, or maybe we're just ashamed of ourselves and we don't really know why. Um, maybe we've accepted uh, certain things as truth, when in reality there's no truth to it at all. Um, you know, there's a lot of dynamics like that that kind of play out in our lives. And my, and from my own personal experience, the only way to ravel through those and to kind of pull them apart and see them for what they are 
is through asking questions. And uh, personally, I think, you know, just to kind of take that initial question and boil it down to a very simplistic form, I think one of the most powerful questions that we can ask ourselves from a position of um, honesty, not accusation, okay, is what if I'm wrong? And, um, and it's not, you know, asking that question to put yourself down. That's counterintuitive. I mean, that's like the opposite of what we want to do here. We're not looking for an excuse to put ourselves down yet again. You know, well, of course I'm wrong because I'm always wrong about everything. So there you go. You know, that's not what I'm talking about, that attitude. Uh, I'm talking about genuinely exploring what we believe and why, you know, about anything or everything. And what I found is, uh, again, in my own exploration, is that there can be a lot of fear around it. Because in some cases, the what we make up in our head that might be the truth, we don't want to know. You know, and so we assign a lot of emotion to it. We assign a lot of energy to it. And it's like, you know what? I would really just rather not know. And like I went through an experience years ago. It was, it, it was curious. Um, I think most of you know, if not all of you know, that uh, Kristen is not my first wife. She's my second wife. Um, my first wife and I divorced about 10 years ago and things were not great for us we were there was a major disconnect between my first wife and I um, toward the end part of the reason was that I was really growing a lot from a personal development perspective and she wasn't and it created a gap uh, and things weren't great between us just because there was a lot going on and all of that and our girls were teenagers and so they were discovering their own boundaries at the time and um one of my friends back then called me up and said uh you're about to lose your marriage and i'm like what are you talking about and he's like you need to sit down and talk with your wife so i did um we i had an office in town at the time we uh she came in and um we talked and uh went out and got some lunch then and uh i said you know we can't keep doing the same thing in our marriage that we've been doing and expecting a different result um we're never going to get that result you know definition of insanity right and uh, she's like so what are you saying i said i don't know what i'm saying I'm just saying that we need to do something different. Like if we want to save our marriage, we need to do something different. I need to do something different. You need to do something different. She's like, so what does that look like? And I'm like, I don't know, counseling maybe. I, you know, I don't know. I'm open to that. Um, and so it was a bit of an upsetting conversation, as you would imagine. She decided to uh, go visit friends, um, the same friends that called me and said that my marriage was in trouble. So she went and visited them for several days. And um, 
Not to go into all the details that happened during that trip, but whenever she came back, we got together again. And uh, uh, talked about everything. And she said that, um, she's like, do you really think that counseling is going to make a difference? And I told her, I have no idea, I, you know, but I'm willing to find out. I'm real, willing to do what it takes. We were married 21 years, you know, and had our girls. And so long story short, uh, she didn't think that that would work. We ended up getting a divorce. And uh, so whenever my youngest daughter, Cordy, got married, um, I guess they've been married for three or four years, maybe maybe five. I don't, I don't remember their exact wedding date. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there was a lot of animosity between my, um, my ex-wife uh, at times like these really jabbing comments and stuff like that because by then I was fairly successful um, in my business. She was struggling. So I had money she didn't. And um, she was very, you know, resentful of that and some other things. And um, I remember this one day she uh, came to me and apologized for her attitude. And... Uh, she said, you know, I, I know I've been really bitchy lately toward you, and I'm sorry. It's just really hard for me to move past what you said. And I'm like, what did I say? And she said that whenever she was visiting her friends, they told her that I had said that um, on the day that my daughter Ashley was born, so our first daughter, um, that I realized that I wasn't in love with Deborah anymore, my first wife, and uh, that I didn't love her, and you know I was just going to stick with her because you know we just had a kid, our our daughter, and I said, "What in the world did they tell you that for? Like that's not even true." And she's like, "Well." It just seemed weird to me that they would say that. And I said, Deborah, I never said that. I never said that to them. I never thought that. It's not true. I said, whenever Ashley was born, I said, finally, we're a family. Like, that's what I said. Finally, we're a family. And she's like, well, that's what I remember. But they said this other thing. And I said, sorry, that just never happened. That's not true. And her face went pale. And she said, you mean to tell me that we went through divorce and I spent years in counseling over something that never actually took place. And I said, I guess so, because I never said that, never believed that, never thought that. And it blew her away. It surprised the hell out of me too, because I was completely unaware. You know, I just, you know, whatever. She, she was remarried because um, she got remarried six months after we divorced. And, uh, and so there were a lot of things about me that she believed that just weren't even founded on fact. And uh, so she said, so what do we do now? And I said, well, you know, do you love your husband? She's like, well, of course. 
And do you love your life? She's like, yes. I said, I love mine too. So why don't we just embrace the choices that we've made here and support our kids? And since that time, it's been a lot different between us. And actually, we get along fairly well now. Um, But it just goes to show how there are beliefs that we can accept without question. Or maybe we have a little bit of a question, but we don't really unwrap them or explore them. That can dramatically affect our lives in ways that never even should have happened. And that's why I've always found it so important to ask questions. Now, I'm an Aries, and so I can be thick-headed um, and, <laughs> you know, very stubborn. And uh, I was especially that, like, whenever I was, gosh, in my twenty, late 20s, early 30s especially, um, I was like the purest definition of an Aries that you could imagine. And so uh, my view was that if anybody was wrong, it was the other person. It wasn't me. Um, You know, probably borderline narcissist and everything else. But um, I remember one time uh, I was thinking about some stuff that was going on in our life. I was still married to Deborah then. And uh, this thought came to me. call it from God or whoever, uh, my self-conscious, subconscious, who knows. Um, but this thought came to me, uh, everything that's wrong in your life right now is your fault. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not all my fault. It's like, yeah, everything that's wrong in your life, everything that's wrong in your marriage, everything that's going on right now that you see is wrong is your fault. You did it. And I'm like, okay, fine. What do I do about that? It's like, you need to make new choices. What I didn't know at the time was that uh, my wife was told the exact same thing. And we didn't even know until later on we had a conversation. And I'm like, you know, I had this thought come to me. It said, everything about the, everything is wrong with our marriage and my life and everything is my fault. And she started laughing. She's like, I heard the exact same thing. And what's really cool is that whenever you stop placing blame and start taking responsibility, things can change uh, pretty dramatically. And uh, uh, choices are a powerful thing. The thing that I love about choices is that um, every day we're presented with the opportunity to make choices. Uh, very often we make them by default rather than on purpose. Um, but we have choices nonetheless. Life could really suck right now. Uh, but tomorrow is a brand new day. And so tomorrow we can make choices that could radically change everything uh, in our life or in the lives of the people that we touch or whatever. But it's easier most of the time to just go by default and to live life by default because we're busy, we're tired, we're whatever, you know, whatever we are at the moment. And, um, you know, I would love to say that exploring these questions and digging for the answers is uh, an easy thing that you can slam dunk in an hour or two. Um, I'm 56. I've been at this for a really long time. 
I'm, I haven't found the end of the questions yet, <laughs> but I've asked a lot of them. And so as a result of asking questions and accepting responsibility and exploring other explanations other than the ones that I have adopted as my own, some interesting things have happened. Um, whenever I was young, I had an explosive temper. That's all gone. Whenever I was younger, I was a constant worrier, anxiety, uh, depression. Um, I mean, I remember having anxiety attacks that I just couldn't hardly control it would completely immobilize me. I would just, you know, it would just shut me down. That's all gone. And there's a lot of different things. I'm happier now than I've ever been. Um, I just put it all out there, what I believe, uh, or live life based upon who I really am instead of trying to be something for somebody else. And I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I attribute all of it to um, asking questions, asking the right questions, taking responsibility for the answers, and then adjusting accordingly. And do I get it right 100% of the time? Hell no, nobody does. You know, that's part of the process. It's part of the adventure. It's kind of like being Indiana Jones on yourself. You know, it's like you're going looking for the buried treasure and you're not quite sure where it is except that the buried treasure is you you know trying to discover who you really are what your talents really are why you're not doing them if you aren't um why you're here on this planet you know it's, it's like trying to be a, a good father you know uh your ability to have sex with somebody doesn't make you a father or a mother. It just means that you can do a physical act. Um, it takes a lot of effort and choice to be a father or not, you know. And uh, that's just one example. Uh, spirituality, all of it, it's all the same way. It takes a choice. Like one of the things that really bothers me, um, troubles me, I'll say, uh, is whenever people uh, believe something just because that's what they're told and they accept it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, and you can apply that to everything. Um, and it seems like in this day and age, it's more the, the case than not with, uh, you know, people believing everything that they hear in the news and all of that. So we have this misplaced trust of authority. Not that we shouldn't trust authority, mind you. It's just that we don't do our own due diligence. I mean, I remember uh, months ago, People were all in an uproar because of some ruling or something that had taken place. And they were just spouting off because of what happened. You know, it was a decision that President Trump had made, I think, regarding the solar industry or whatever. And so people are just pissed off and are spouting off and he's ruining jobs and all of this and that kind of stuff. Never took the time to research what was really going on. And... When, once you dug into the research and started asking the questions, what's really going on here? Why is this happening? Why were these decisions made? You know, 
um, you discover <coughs> a completely different story that's what than what's told in mainstream media. And most of the time, like anymore, it's almost safe to say if mainstream media is saying it, just do the opposite of that, and that's probably the truth. Because there's so much agenda that's being pushed anymore, uh, as opposed to uh, objective journalism. Like, it seems like objective journalism is gone. Like, it's dead. Somebody killed it, put it in a cell somewhere, and now it's gone. Everybody's got an agenda anymore. Um, and the thing that's awesome about that is that we we easily can see that. You know, we can see, oh, well, yeah, fake news, you know, whatever. But don't you know that we believe fake news about ourselves every freaking day? We believe shit that isn't even real. You know, we make stuff up, you know. It's like, man, if if this happens and then this happens and then so-and-so finds out, I'm screwed. Has this happened yet? No. Has that happened yet? No. How do you know what so-and-so is going to respond to? Like, we project situations of what people may say or what people might think or what people might do based on fantasies, based on imagination. You know, we call it worry. You know, I'm worrying. Oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to pass this course or not. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z. Oh, this looks really cool. Oh no, wait, it's hard. You know, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I remember years ago, a guy that I grew up with, I called out uh, on that and he was asking me what I was doing, you know, my business and everything. And I was telling him a little bit about it. And he's like, oh, I could never do that. And I said, who told you that? He's like, what? Like, who told you that you couldn't do that? Nobody. Then how do you know? Did you ever try? No. Then how do you know? See, he made up a fact that was based on fake news. He didn't even know, honestly. He just automatically assumed, oh, I can't do that. I can't write a book. I can't teach a webinar. I can't do a podcast. How do you know? Did you ever try? Well, it's so tech heavy and I'm not a very technical person. They're all bullshit answers, honestly. You know, anytime you automatically accept the fact that you can't do something. Now, like if you're a dude, you're not going to be able to birth a kid. Okay. (laughs) But there's no BS there. It's just a physical fact. My point is that we accept things about ourselves and about others without any research, any questioning, anything at all. And so my challenge is, you know, in playing the what if game, what if you're wrong? You know, what if the thing that you don't think you can do, you actually can do, and it's the answer to the problems that you've wanted to get out of for a long time? You know, it's like, well, I haven't talked to my brother in years because we had this thing and he believed this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then you come to find out later that he believed the exact same thing that it was you. Well, it wasn't me. He said X, Y, Z. What if you're wrong? You know, and so now you've lost years 
of relationship with your brother or family member based on an assumption, based on fiction, based on fake news. You know, we have selective memories. We remember what we want. Um, Sometimes it's not by choice necessarily because we can suppress memory. Uh, But very often we, we set up these beliefs that it's like, well, I'm not talking to them ever again because they did me wrong. You know, and maybe they did. You know, maybe they did. I can never trust them again. Trust is earned. There's nothing wrong with that. But chances are, like, I remember, gosh, it's been a couple years ago now. I taught this class. I don't even remember what it was called. When you teach, like, thousands of webinars, (laughs) it's really hard to remember what you said and where. Um, That's why I'm grateful to have the PowerPoints, because I can just search. Like, I think I said that. Where, Where would that have been? Um, which makes customer support interesting. I know Tony said something on this one webinar that he taught back in 2012, I think it was, but I'm trying to find it and I can't. I'm like, you really think I know where it is? You know, (laughs) but anyway, um, I talked about like an event that happens. So this event takes place and Everything, understand, is subjective. So let's say that the event that takes place is between two people. And it doesn't really matter what the event is, okay? It could be a good thing or a bad thing. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, But even with the whole good and bad, you understand that good and bad is subjective. Like what, what you think is a good thing, I may see as a bad thing and vice versa. Like I may be cool with it. You might be mortified okay so there's even subjection at that level okay so this event happens and there's what really happened from an observer point of view you know a uh, somebody who didn't have a dog in that game so to speak or whatever however that phrase goes um you know so like a video camera recording the event so that's about as um objective as you can get just a video camera recording what took place um and then there's your uh impression of what took place okay so what you remember of the event even just a few minutes later right not to mention a year later five years later ten years later and so on because it will change over time um there's what you remember of the event there's what the other person remembers of the event there is the emotion behind what uh, what you uh, recall. So it's not just a memory. Um, there's emotion that's attached to it. Um, there's smells. There's sound. Uh, the visuals, of course. There's all of that. So each one of those could be tricked or uh, not come through necessarily. And if there's more than one person there, then the other person has their own um same collection of memories about what took place and then you know the more people you add of course you know it's kind of like a family tree just kind of explodes in splinters uh so then uh you have all of those different dynamics what really happened what you remember happening the emotion of what happened 
Um, and then the further out you go, all of that changes. Um, and then we start to project based on what happened. Uh, we develop beliefs based on what happened. Um, and those beliefs can certainly be skewed based on a number of uh, other types of input, like talking to a close friend or venting frustrations on Facebook or whatever. And people say stuff, well, you know, they shouldn't have talked to you that way anyway, after all, blah, blah, blah. You know, and so then the story changes even more and adapts and it becomes this whisper down the road kind of thing that isn't even based in reality. And uh, so it, it is real easy to fall into a set of beliefs and accepting certain uh, circumstances that weren't necessarily true. Um, even in crisis situations, you know, are depending on how you handle stress and crises, um, you may think that one thing happened when in reality it didn't even happen at all. It's just, you know, in the flurry of whatever, um, you attach one to certain things and completely blind to others. Uh, and some folks just don't function well under pressure, you know. So there's a lot of contributing factors that play into that dynamic. Um, I remember whenever my youngest daughter got uh, married, uh, they had one set of plans. I had a backup plan just in case um, because of the weather and all of that. And she wanted an outdoor wedding. And, uh, and so it rained. Um <laughs> And we needed to go to plan B. Uh, whenever I got to where uh, she was planning on getting married, initially, it had already started raining. And um, everybody was just kind of swirling. You know, like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And uh, I just finally stepped up uh, whenever I arrived because I was uh, checking in the caterer and all that, make sure the food was good. Um so I showed up and I'm like, so what's going on? It's raining. Um, it's like, we don't know. You know, we were trying to figure out what to do. And so it's like, okay, everybody, listen. All right, so it's raining. We can't do it here. We're going to go to plan B. Uh, Courtney, you ride with me. So-and-so, you get this. You take it over there. Uh, everybody, we reconvene. We're going to reschedule the ceremony uh, for a half an hour later. Done. And then everyone went and did their thing. But, you know, it took somebody with this clear focus of get shit done, you know, because everyone else, you know, all that they remember is, yeah, it was chaotic. You know, the wedding was so chaotic at first. No, it wasn't. It wasn't chaotic at all. We had plan B, you know. It was like whenever my... Um, I think it was Ashley. She was like uh, a year old or something. And I, we lived in New Jersey and I was talking to my dad on the phone and she tripped and fell and she bit her lip. Uh, her, one of her teeth went into her lip. She might've been 18 months, but anyway, I don't think Courtney was born yet. So 12, 14, maybe months. And it started to bleed a little bit, as you would imagine. She's crying. And, uh, dad said, what happened? I'm like, Oh, Ashley fell and cut her lip. I'm like, come here, honey. And, you know, so I'm blotting it and everything. And I'm still talking to my dad. Uh, and then my wife walks into the room. I heard Ashley cry. What's going on? Oh, she fell and cut her lip. 
And she saw the blood. My wife did. And she's like, oh my God, come here. You know, and then Ashley had already stopped crying, you know. Uh, but then she started again. <laughs> my, my dad's like, good God, what's going on now? And I'm like, Deborah walked into the room. I think I need to go. I'll talk to you later. You know, so it's perception, right? It's perception of of how we view our situations based upon um, our conditioning, based upon what we have chosen to believe, uh, based upon a, um, a lot of input, um, whether it's uh, cultural or family or, you know, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, and we've been conditioned to not question it. You know, just it is what it is. Don't question. Don't question authority. We know what we're doing. We are in control. Everything is safe. Everything is calm. You know, just go with the flow. And that's no way to live life. You know, it's no way to live life. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, that illustrates this really well, and I, I've shared it before, so some of you may have heard it, is um, I was in, uh, I'm, I might have even shared it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, but it fits here really well. Um, years ago, um, I was out shopping with my family on Black Friday, and we were at one of the local Targets, um, about 20 miles away. And I love Black Friday. I know a lot of people don't because of the insanity of it all, but that's exactly why I love it. Because I'm a, a people watcher. I like watching people. You can learn a lot about how to sell <laughs> by watching people uh, from a sales you know, kind of point of view. And I remember standing there. I had already gone through and looked at what I wanted to look at. And I noticed that out of all the checkout lines, the very first one had this line that was literally to the back of the store. And all the other checkout lines only had like a couple people in it, and that was it. So at first, I automatically assumed that that was like a returns line. Which, okay, so having a return line on Black Friday seemed a little weird to me. But it was the only explanation I could think of at the moment to justify having a line to the back of the store when all the rest of the checkouts weren't like that. Okay, so I, uh, I decided to find out. You know, I wasn't really doing anything and the girls and all of them were still shopping. And so I walked partway back the line, um, maybe... 15 or 20 people back in the line and said, so is, is this like a return line or something? And they're like, no, it's just a checkout. And I'm like, you do know that there's other registers open, right? Like there's eight or 10 other checkouts open. Like, why are you staying in this line? And they're like, what? Like, there's other checkouts open? I'm like, yeah. Like, you're in this long line. This is the only one that has a long line. All the rest of them, there's like three people. And so everyone's looking at me now. I'm dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. You know, so not very authority looking. And so I'm talking to these folks who are standing in line. And they're intrigued. But what if I'm wrong? 
you know. Meanwhile, um, this woman overhears me saying that who wasn't in line, but she heard me saying that. She's like, what did you just say about the checkouts? And I said, there's several other checkouts that are open. Like they're a little hard to get to because of the clutter of everything with Black Friday. But if you get down through the baby department and cut straight across, it'll bring you right out and you'll be out of the store in five minutes. And everyone's like, what? And she's like, on it. And she <laughs> took off running, right? Um, and I saw her later. You know, she was like literally out in under five minutes. Nobody left the line. They would not believe me. Because what if I was wrong in that particular case? You know, they never asked the question, what if they were wrong? They just questioned me because I wasn't a person of authority. I wasn't wearing a little green vest or a red vest, you know. So finally, I walked up to the uh, shift manager who was standing right by the checkouts. And I said, excuse me. She's like, how can I help you? I'm like, you have a bit of a problem. And she's like, what's that? And I said, see that long <laughs> line over there? And she's like, what is that? I said, they all believe that they're in the only checkout line. Serious? And I said, yeah. So she went down and told them. And they wouldn't break line. So ultimately, what she had to do, and now Target's everywhere do this, um... I can't say that it's because of me, okay? I, I would never think that, but uh, she went down and literally had to stand where they were and say, you, go to checkout line two, you, go to checkout line three, you, go to checkout line four, and told people where to go. And eventually, that line dissipated, right? But people didn't want, want to break line because, you know, God forbid, they questioned that they might be wrong, um, and so it, it's like we see evidence of this kind of craziness all the time. You come up to an intersection and it's a zipper merge. Everybody is in line in the left-hand lane, backed up for half a mile. In the right-hand lane, there's three cars. I would be one of those three cars. Drives straight up to the front of the line because it's a zipper merge. You know where you take turns and you merge together. But people would rather stay in line because what if they're wrong and not do the zipper merge thing. And then they get pissed off because you do. Like, it's the law. I'm obeying the law, right? It's the way it's designed. We're supposed to do this. But yet people will not. Why? Because they choose to believe what they believe. They won't question what if. What if they're wrong? I wonder what would happen if is the other part. Like that's the um, the flip side of what if I'm wrong. I wonder what would happen if I did it this way. I wonder what would happen if I did get over in the zipper line, in the zipper line, you know, and just went straight and merged in, like we're supposed to do in traffic, you know. Um, well, one thing that would probably happen is I would get ahead of a whole bunch of people. <laughs> Which is why I do it every single time. It's like, oh, cool, there's nobody in this lane. I just go, eh, you know, drive up. It's like whenever you are you come up onto construction and there's a merge, like uh, they have the flashing lights that say uh, merge in 2,000 feet, merge in 1,000 feet. So people start seeing those signs and they immediately merge, which 
creates a huge backup in traffic, right? I drive clear down to the freaking sign and merge there. Why? Am I doing anything wrong? No, I'm not doing anything wrong. It says merge here. So that's what I do. I merge here. But people are like, hey, wait a minute. He's getting ahead of me. He's going to the front of the line. He's cheating. No, I'm not. I'm not cheating at all. I'm not breaking any laws. That's actually what the law is. You chose to merge when, when you did, right? And so there's all kinds of stuff like this that we do all the time without even questioning it. And so, you know, all that I'm saying is start asking questions. Holy cow. I mean, life can be so much different just by questioning things. Questions aren't evil. They're actually probably the best part of conversation or communication that we have is asking questions. It's how we get answers. Not to say that people will always answer correctly. I mean, hell, we lie to ourselves all the time. So uh, it's not that we're even going to get questions out of ourselves or answers out of ourselves that we're looking for. But as we ask questions and fashion questions in a way that challenges us, um, like one of the things that I use um, as a guide, and this is dangerous, so I'll just give a warning right now. This is very dangerous method um, try this at home as much as possible, um, is ask questions and pay attention to your emotions. Like, how do you feel? Um, I remember there's, I can't think of a, an exact example right now, but there's been many times, uh, where Chris and I will have conversations or I'll even ask something of myself, um, or she'll ask something of me, you know, cause we definitely play the question game a lot. Um, it, and all of a sudden you feel this emotion well up inside, you know, and your tears start to form in your eyes and all of that. All that that is, um, our emotions are a guidance system. That's what they're there for. That's what they do. Um, left unchecked, they can kind of get out of control, but used together with questions, uh, it can be really powerful. And so whenever you are asking questions of yourself, like about what you believe or whatever, uh, and emotion comes very often, that's just like the bell ringing, ding, 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 you got the right answer. You know, there's something there that you need to explore further. Uh, because then the next question is, why is this affecting me this way? Like, why am I emotional all of a sudden? Uh, and very often what I found is because there is a belief attached there that may need further explanation or exploration, maybe explanation as well. Um, be, there's power there. Otherwise, you wouldn't tear up. You wouldn't feel emotion. Like if it was no big deal, you wouldn't feel emotion. That isn't how your body works or your mind or anything. Uh, so the fact that emotion is there, um, it shows that something is going on and it may not even be what you think. You know, like challenge somebody in their uh, religious beliefs. There may be emotion. Um, and I mean, I can't speak for what that emotion is. It could be any one, any number of things. And trust me, I'm not against um, spiritual belief. Uh, I'm very much pro that way. The only, um, the only issue I have with belief is when you blindly believe. 
without any personal exploration at all. Um, that's not how we were created. You know, that's called control. And uh, I'm not a big fan of control. So, um, you know, you may feel like, like I remember having a conversation with uh, one of my parishioners back in the day, shortly before I stepped down. Um, and we were having this conversation, you know, what if everything that I believed was, was wrong or believed about God was wrong. And uh, we were talking about it and it really, really rocked her world. Um, and I felt bad about it actually, just because I don't think she was ready for that question. And, um, it, it really brought emotion, you know, brought emotion up and all of that. And, uh, and I asked her about it, you know, I asked her why she was crying and, uh, and all that. Cause she was, and I felt bad that she was crying and she's like, are you mean, uh, she's like, you mean to tell me that I've been lied to my entire life by the church? And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I just opened Pandora's box. And uh, so my response was, no, I'm not telling you that at all. I'm not saying that you were lied to. Okay. You know, what if everything that I believe was wrong? What if Jesus didn't really live? What if there is no devil? What if whenever we die, nothing happens? Or, you know, we go to another plane of existence or whatever, Right. Um, she's like, so, so then if I, you know, if I didn't just believe a lie, my entire adult life and childhood life, then what are you saying here? I said, all that I'm saying is that you need to understand why you believe what you believe. You need to choose to believe what you believe. Don't just go blindly into it. I'm not saying there isn't a God or Jesus or anything like that. That'd be ridiculous for me to say. You know, and I still feel that way. It'd be ridiculous for me to say, who, who, who am I to say something like that? You know, um, but just don't believe what you believe because that's what you're told without questioning, you know, because the, the real secret to true spirituality, it, we're spiritual beings. We can't help it. We always believe something, whether you're agnostic or atheist, doesn't matter. You know, everybody believes something. And uh, it's believing it on your terms because we're each unique. We're each uh, individuals. You're not like me. I'm not like you. I haven't had experiences and I sure as hell haven't had your family uh, heritage or history any more than you've had mine. And all of that impacts it. And so uh, it's whenever you make it your own and your personal and, or making it personal that it serves you. You know, that's when it's real. And that's the truth for everything. You know, um, whether you're talking about politics, religion, uh, your job, whatever the case may be. Lots of people hate their job, but they're doing it because they believe that's the only option that they have. Uh, and that's definitely not the case. So um, another question that I'll just kind of wrap up with, and this is a really... Like, you think the other question is loaded. This one is super, 
loaded. <laughs> it's a super dangerous loaded question that I highly recommend um, you ask on a daily basis, if not hourly basis, especially when you're facing circumstances that aren't going the way you think. This is the perfect question to ask when shit's hitting the fan and you don't like it. And the question is, what am I getting out of this? So, everything that happens, especially things that keep repeating on a consistent basis, you know, why does every every guy that I choose to date turn out to be an idiot? You know, why does, you know, every time I get a car, it just seems to break down. I don't understand why. You know, all of these cycles that happen in our lives, these repeating things that keep going on, and there can be positive things too, don't get me wrong. Um, but the question that you have to ask yourself is, what are you getting out of it? Like, if there's a repeating cycle, even if it's a negative repeating cycle that's happening in your life, if you weren't getting something out of it, you would have gotten rid of it. Like, why hold on to something that isn't serving you? Unless you're getting something out of it. And the getting something out of it might be extremely convoluted. You know. Um, I've shared the story in the past of years ago. Um, gosh. Ten years ago, I guess. So ten years ago. Um, constant worry. Constant stress over how I was going to pay my bills. The first couple weeks of the month, I was fine. But we get down to the last week, and I would be flipping out, like super stressed. How am I going to pay my bills? This is coming out, this is coming out, they're automatic payments, I don't have the money. And then I would kick in, you know, and somehow through, you know, extraordinary effort... <laughs> or whatever, feats of madness, who knows, um, somehow the bills would always get paid. And, and it was bad. I mean, I always referred to it as my monthly cycle, just because it happened every 30 days. Um, you know, usually the week before the end of the month. And uh, it was bad. It was really crazy. And I don't even remember now How I got the wherewithal to even think to ask, why does this keep happening? And like, not from a frustrated, why does this keep happening to me? But from a sincere, exploratory, this has got to stop. Why does this keep happening? And all of a sudden, this thought came to me. I was standing in the middle of my office and this thought came to me. Because you need to save the day. And I'm like, what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But then I started thinking back over what, what's going on here. So I create a situation. It gets scary. Through some Herculean effort, I make it all better again. And the problem is now gone. So I saved the day. 
And I realized that there was truth in that, that I actually was doing that. And it was a little hard for me to accept at first because, you know, we don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't like doing that, you know, but these damn questions, <laughs> they, they always point very often to, yeah, you're, you don't got that one right. Um, and so then the question that came to me was, I wonder what would happen if I didn't need to save the day? Because turns out that it actually wasn't my Herculean efforts in the end of the month to try to get all my bills paid that was actually getting them paid because there wasn't a time where I where I failed. They were always getting paid. And so I asked the question, I wonder if I could get to that point of making sure all my bills were paid without the stress, without being Superman, without all of that stuff. wonder what would happen if I did that. And so I decided to try it and it was tough, you know, to fight the anxiety was really tough because, you know, I, I trained myself to go there, to go through that cycle because I was getting something out of it. You know, I felt better about myself because I had saved the day, you know? So yay, Tony saved the day. It made me feel important made me feel special because I figured it out. I figured out this problem and I liked it. You know, we have these chemicals that are released in our brains, you know, and we get addicted to the feelings, the chemicals. And so I tried it for a month without the stress. I really fought against that and just said, you know what? I'm going to believe that by the end of the month, it's all going to work out. I don't know how it's just going to work out. And you want to know what happened? It did. And so I did it for a second month. And just chose to believe that somehow or another, it was all going to work out. I had no clue how. I would just follow my instincts, follow my gut, do what came to me, and trust that it was all going to work out. And you want to know what happened? It did. And you want to know what happened over the last 500 weeks? of doing this 10 years it worked out every time every time and uh, there's not been one time where it hasn't worked out it's gotten tenuous for sure but it's always worked out and um, it's not to say that I'm not getting something out of other things but in that particular area I figured it out. And so as a result, I've become very unattached to it. Um, just like, you know what? I don't know how, but it's going to work out. And Chris and I have had conversations like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for that? I'm like, I have no clue other than the fact that it's just going to work out. And uh, one of the real challenging questions that I received in the middle of all of that craziness was, um, what, what evidence do you have to prove that this time you're going to fail. What evidence do you have? And you know, I could never produce any. I can never go back to a point and say, this right here proves that I am going to fail. First of all, why on earth would we want to find proof that we're going to fail? Like who does that? 
you know? So we're not going to do it. it. The purpose of the question is to reveal the ridiculousness of stuff that we believe at times. Like, oh my God, I don't, I just don't know, you know? And then you talk to them six months later and say, hey, by the way, whatever happened with, oh, it, you know, it worked out. But yet in the moment, the stress, the anxiety, you know, all that stuff, you know, I have all sorts to show for it, like a bragging right. Yeah, I've really been struggling with work and everything. I even have ulcers. Like, it's a freaking badge of courage, you know? It's like, get rid of the stress, you know, because it's mostly based on fantasy anyway. Uh, and the only way to do that is to get to the core of it, and you can only do that with questions, you know? So, hopefully, some of what I shared today connects with maybe where you are or perhaps what you've been through yourself already. But my encouragement and admonishment is to think about what I said, to really use questions as a tool to get to the core of what's really going on. Because uh, once you address what's really going on, and I will say that even the most painful situations uh, that you could ever possibly face are highly overrated in our imaginations okay they're highly overrated we make it so much more than it actually is not to take away from you know what happened there can be some horrific things that happen but still we build these protection mechanisms around certain events uh, to prevent us from actually sorting through them and getting healing from them and moving on. I mean, imagine if that thing, whatever it is, no longer wielded power over you. You know, what would life be like if that was no longer there? Well, life would probably be pretty magical, wouldn't it? So why not get rid of it? You know, why carry it? Why carry the baggage when you really don't need to? Because I don't know if I can face it and it's going to be really painful and blah, blah, blah. Only for a moment, you know, like whenever I was a kid, I fell off my bike and whacked my knee into a stone and it gashed it open. And uh, both my aunt and my mom had to sit on me <laughs> so that they could pour, you know, hydrogen peroxide on it and clean it all out and put a bandaid on it. Well, it hurt, you know, and my mom, like she's my mom. And she's inflicting pain on me. On purpose. Right? But what do you think would have happened if she just looked at the dirt at my knee and said, Oh, you'll be fine. You know, just go back out and play. Stop your damn crying, little baby. You know, what if that was her approach? You know, I could end up losing my leg. You know, because gangrene and all that kind of stuff could have set in. Infection, you know, all that fun stuff. But no, she didn't. She put me through pain for a moment. She held me down like my mother, my aunt are holding me down, inflicting pain on purpose. There's something wrong with this picture, right? But in all, you know, in reality, they were helping me. They were uh, helping me deal with a situation that later on would have, you know, no repercussions. So now here I am 50 years later and... I still have my leg. It still works fine. Although there is a little bit of dirt, something, you know, that was there, the scar 
uh, you can still see it. It's like slightly discolored. I think mom didn't quite get all the dirt out or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, here I am. And uh, that was dealt with. And if it wasn't dealt with and it became worst case scenario, I would still be here. But my life would have radically changed. And I think you would agree with that. So, um, so why protect something that can be healed and then you can just move on and uh i i'm preaching to myself here uh just because some things have started coming up in dreams and possible memories that are frightening and it's been kind of uh and i don't have a clear picture yet so there's like nothing to really focus on or deal with uh yet it's just starting to come up to the point where i'm like okay what the hell is going on here you know and there's fear there's emotion and so it's got my attention but it's not ready to face yet you know but whenever it reveals itself and i have an idea of what it might be um uh i'm not gonna shovel it under a rug you know uh, I'm going to hit it head on because I don't want to be controlled by anything other than my own choices that I make that are based on love, happiness, peace, joy, those things. I am thrilled to be controlled by love and joy and all of those. Um, but anxiety and fear and hatred and all that, I don't want that shit in my life. I don't want to be controlled by that. And so the only way we can root it out is through questions. Um, so, and choices. Questions and end choices. So let me uh, go down through uh, some comments and questions here before we wrap things up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jess says, we make choices, whether they are right or wrong, is our choice. That's really true. And we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Like, there's nothing wrong with getting it wrong. Um, that's part of the process. Sometimes getting it wrong helps us, helps point us in the right direction. Which seems kind of weird but yeah <laughs> Chris posts a uh, posted a link to an article pregnant man gives birth to a daughter dude <laughs> fine be that way <laughs> like I, I don't even want that in my brain <laughs> Uh, Mavis says, thanks for being so open and sharing, Tony. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly, Jess. She says, uh, or he, I, I'm sorry, I assume a female, but Jess is one of those names that could go either. So it could be Jessica or Jesse. I apologize. Um, in any case, uh, it's important that we ask sincere questions and not be afraid of the answer. That really is the truth. A guy, okay. 
Yay. So I apologize for an assumption. Uh, Mavis says, on it's going to work out. I ran my life that way since my 40s. I worked uh, on contract as an editor. I operated in that belief because whenever I started stressing, I would be offered contracts I either had to turn down or put off. So I had to change my belief and make myself not doubt until my current contract was almost done. And it always appeared strange, but true. That's what I found. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for being unattached to outcomes and it's tough to learn and, you know, to build a habit around that because we want things to happen a certain way and that's okay you know um and in some cases we want things to happen in a certain period of time or to happen in a specific way or with a specific person or whatever but the more we can be unattached to an outcome the more chance we have more chances we have of it actually happening that way it's whenever we hold on tight because our um, very often our idea of what's perfect for us is based on flawed evidence. You know, when if we just let go, you know, we've heard the phrase, some of us, I guess, have heard the phrase, let go and let God, right? Um, I don't necessarily view that phrase the same as I used to, but uh, there's still truth in it because... Whenever we let go uh, and acknowledge the fact that we may not understand everything we need to in a given situation and just allow permission that however this needs to work, I'm okay with it, you know, uh, and then circumstances very often will align. Maybe not as soon as we think, maybe it happens sooner than we think. Um, it's kind of crazy that way, but uh, like Chris and I run our businesses this way, um, where we are, um, we do our best to stay unattached to outcomes and it, it actually can be dangerous when things start going your way really quickly and in rapid succession, because then you're presented with another choice. It's like, well, holy crap, uh, we didn't think this was going to happen like this. And now here are multiple options, which is all part of the test again. But like <coughs> we have, uh, we've talked about creating a, a candy store, you know, um, we actually have six stores planned, retail stores. We have uh, the toy box. It's open, almost open a year now, um, a year in July. And uh, well, the, from the grand opening. And uh, Nerdvana, we're um, opening, soft opening this Friday, <laughs> which is hilarious because we're still putting things in place. But we also have a bookstore planned and a candy shop and a rock shop and a co-op, like a co-op art space and like all of this other stuff that we have planned. And so our employees are like, well, when are you going to do this? When are you going to open the candy store? I want to be the manager of the candy store. Where's it going to be? And we're like, we have no idea. We have no idea when. We have no idea where. Um, but yet we have a full write-up on it. Uh, we've already made wholesale accounts. But I couldn't tell you when that store is going to open if my life depended on it. Because I have no clue. 
so we're unattached and so I was like well you know what this space here could be good but it's currently rented uh, if this space opens up it'd be perfect for a candy shop so let's just kind of see what happens there or maybe another opportunity will present itself I don't really care I just know that we want to do a candy store called Wonderland Sweets and uh, it's going to happen. I can see it as if it already exists, but it doesn't, but it does because it exists in my, you know, in my mind. And, uh, and I have it outlined on paper of what it'll look like, how we'll handle it, what we'll carry, all that kind of stuff. But is it going to be open this year? Probably not. Um, just because we've made a conscious decision to open no new businesses this year, which means we probably will. But <laughs> from a uh, cash flow perspective, I'd prefer not to. Could be next year. Who knows? Uh, we want it in one space. Could end up being in another. Uh, I have no idea. We're unattached to the outcome. Other than the fact that whenever the timing is right, whenever the opportunity presents itself, we're ready. And that really is the secret. To just be ready, regardless. Um, and you know, it's like, I gotta make this happen by September of 2018, you know, no, you don't. That's almost like guaranteeing that it will not happen in September of 2018. It's like, whatever, you know, and it's not, okay. It's not that you don't care in that you're lackadaisical or whatever, you know, it's not that. It's, there's clarity, there's focus, but there's not control, if that makes sense, okay? So, you have an outcome that you desire, open a store, get a new job, get another car, you know, there's no rules. There's an outcome that you desire, and in that desire, you have focus, this is something that I truly want. You have clarity. This is what it's going to look like. But you release control and give a permission to happen without you trying to make it happen. And whenever you can get to that place, and questions really can help you get there. You know, why am I, why do I want to open a candy store? Like, what's the answer to that question? What am I going to get out of it? What if opening a candy store is the wrong move, right? And so once you have answers to those questions and just say, okay, I'm cool with it. I, I'm clear on it. Let's see what happens. That's when magic can really happen in some pretty cool ways. We've seen it over and over and over again, and it's awesome. So anyway, I digress. Yeah, Thumper says, uh, the universe works in ways we know not. <laughs> exactly. Like, the universe knows all the options. We know a couple. I'd rather go with the odds. All right. Gil says, I bought your POD Econ class for tonight. Can't wait. Yeah, I can't either. It's going to be fun. 
Gary says, suggest you put all of the stores under one roof and have one worker and one cashier. Yeah, that would be awesome if that were possible, dude. But I don't think so. <laughs> Not when we get rush times. Um, whenever we have the downtown festivals and stuff, it seems like having five or six employees isn't enough. Um, and we only, I think right now we're at eight, eight or nine, somewhere around there. Because we just, I think we just hired somebody. Plus we have some part-time contract workers that aren't on payroll, but, you know, are like 1099 folks. We have three or four of those. Um, but it does take people, and I love providing jobs locally. I mean, I love that. Chris says, you could make your own miniature mall. Well, that is actually um, number five <laughs> in the list. It's a, it's a co-op space where um, it would be run, basically like what Gary just said. So there would be spaces, think like Antique Mall, except instead of antiques and all of that, they'd be like maker spaces um, where people were selling products that they make like think Etsy um, and then um, there would be a centralized cashier and all of that maybe 10 or 15 uh, stores within the store and the reason why we want to do that is so that um, uh, people may not be able to afford to create a, uh, a full-blown retail store but they have an idea that they want to test so it's a lot easier to have a retail space that costs you 150 bucks a month versus 1200 you know. Um, and so from that perspective, we want to create like a marketplace. So you walk into the one space, kind of like a miniature mall, um, and you have these booths that are self-contained stores with a centralized checkout. So um, that's one of our plans. It's called... Uh, Oh, what is it called? Wonder Village Marketplace, I think is what we named it. And so, not quite sure when that's going to happen yet. But then, of course, people can graduate out of that uh, into a more full-blown retail space if they choose. Because, I'll tell you, I mean, retail isn't inexpensive for startup. Um, we What we found is that if you're going full-blown retail space, your own store and, you know, everything that goes with it, um, depending on your location and where you live, uh, you're looking at 50 to 75 grand startup cost, uh, maybe even more, depending on the types of products you're selling. Um, so that, whenever you want to open six stores, that'll slow you down a little. <laughs> Not to mention all the logistics behind it. Um, but it's fun. I mean, we've been having a blast with it. So, uh, Kate says, great show today. I'm off to sign up for your new PD class. Looking forward to tonight, Kate. Well, thanks. I'll look forward to seeing you there. And uh, that's all I have, folks, uh, for this week. Um, I really encourage you to, to think about what I shared. And I should have the replay up in the next... 24 hours or so, I'd really encourage you to go back and re-listen to this one. There's there's a lot in it um, to just really think through and apply um, and see where it takes you. So 
enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. We will uh, reconvene here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern. And until then, have fun.